Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Amelia Johnson of flightcharter.com.au. Flight Charter is an independent private flight brokerage firm. Basically, if you want a private plane, they can find you the perfect plane in your budget that can fly you to the destination of your choice. Amelia is an incredibly funny and entertaining person who has a passion for the aviation industry. Amelia was at first put off by the industry, which was male dominated, and sent her on a different path, going into personal business and building businesses on the side for herself until eventually she got back to what she loves as an official pilot and member of the aviation community, she shares everything we need to know about booking a private plane. Whether that be something you want to do now or something you aspire to do in the future, I love this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. My number one dream ever is the ability to fly. And you've got that. That I can help you with. Wow. That's my specialty. Yeah. And and so you, you're a proper pilot. Like you, you can I fly am. like yeah, I'm a commercial like all pilot. All different type of planes. Multi-engine instrument rated. What does that mean? So that means I can fly a plane with multi-engines. So you start off learning on a single engine because <laughs> that's a nice entryway. Uh, it's a little bit simpler. And then from there, so you can get your commercial license just on a single engine. And from there, the next step is to go multi-engine. Or you don't have to. You can go and get a different endorsement like your float. So you can do seaplanes or uh, tailwheel endorsement. So you can do aerobatics. And so multi, oh, sorry, single engine is like, you know, when you get out of the plane, you want to start it. So you go to the propeller at the front and you're like, and you spin. That. That's, yeah, that's a single engine that plane. Yeah. That's a single engine plane. So it's usually in the centre, up the front, and it's piston. So suck, squeeze, bang, blow. That makes the plane go. Okay. <laughs> Is that what they teach you in flight school? <laughs> oh, not really, but <laughs> something like that. And, and the reason then, so the reason you're saying multi-engine is one up is because I'm assuming that makes it commercial because if one engine fails, that don't worry, people, you're not dead. Correct. You've got another engine to back us up here. So that, exactly. That's the purpose? Yes. Although statistically it's interesting, a multi-engine aircraft is actually more prone to crashing than a single engine because you've, if you've got one engine out, you're going to then get this asymmetric effect and you're going to start turning, which will turn into a spiral, which if you don't arrest it quick enough, you're straight into the ground, depending on how far off your ground you are as well. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm not getting on a plane again. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, <laughs> if it starts spinning, it, right? I'll be like, everyone, you get too far the into left the engine's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Out of here. And look, I think the bigger the aircraft, the better the technology, the better the systems and the better you are protected. But, yeah, in these little small multi-engine aircraft, it can get tricky. Yeah. I'm, but I'm, we're trained. We know it, what to do. Well, I want to hear a lot more about flying because, like I said, it's pretty much my dream. But – what about yourself? So you, um, uh, you're uh, uh, with a company called Flight Charter, yes. which, um, or actually, do you want to do the introduction? So I don't. I mean, your yeah. your private jet brokerage would that be what it's exactly. called? Exactly. Yeah. So we are a truly independent flight charter broker. We don't own any aircraft ourselves. So what we can do is listen to your requirements, be brief, responsive, and then use our extensive knowledge of all the operators in Australia and internationally to pick you exactly the right aircraft, perfect for your purposes, uh, where you need it for the best price with the best crew. And and by so truly independent, you're, you're saying that 
um, you're not tied to any one plane. So because we don't own any planes, Correct. we're not being like, oh, you know, I, I just want to go on a trip to Hamilton with my wife and one child. Excellent. Here's what you need. You need a 12-seater jet. That's right. Uh, that's going to be the safest for your child. You wouldn't do that because – Exactly. Because um, you know – And we yeah. always give you three choices because there's so many aircraft to choose from. So we will use maybe a more economic option uh, and then – like a medium option where it gives you a little bit of all the advantages and then your really high-priced option, which gets you there the fastest, in the most comfort, in the most luxury. It's, the, it's just the biggest. And no? you can choose. Not necessarily. Because it could be a Learjet. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're quicker, no? Yeah. And there's not many Learjets around, but we we love to use the Phenom. Um, there's a Phenom up uh, based from Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast actually, and it's the newest jet in Australia. So we love using that one for people who really just want that schmick luxury experience um, and it's you can have aircraft that are one pilot certified but some people prefer to fly with two pilots for that redundancy mm-hmm. and then we've got jets actually it's not been it's it's currently trying to be registered with CASA to be commercially viable uh, but it's the um, Cirrus Vision Jet and if the pilot is incapacitated it will fly itself and it will tell the pilot uh, it will tell air traffic control what it's doing and it will also speak to the passengers. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've done – so I've flown private a few times, but uh, I've had a few different experiences because one time uh, – well, no, I've actually had great experiences every single time except for one time where I was severely hungover. Ooh. and yeah, that hurts. Yeah, and I spent a lot of money because I booked it while I was drunk the night before <laughs> and so I didn't get a great deal. <laughs> and, and I'm not kidding, and it was tiny. Like it was, and Who I'm claust- and I'm claustrophobic. Yeah, uh, I flew to Adelaide from where? Uh, from Sydney. From Sydney. And do you remember what type of aircraft it was? No, but <laughs> but I never <laughs> I never spoke to that broker again. But I remember sitting on that plane. I was you already I was having like a nervous breakdown. I was anxious, and and I was like, wow, this is too small for me. Like it, it like was a tin can. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a nice plane. Like inside, it was nice, but it was just small. And I was like, like a little small Mustang. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'll, have, I'll have to find it after this. I'll, after this, <laughs> I'll get curious. my emails. Yeah, it was a nice plane. It was just a bit too small in terms of. I don't know. I felt like I was in a bit of a death trap in the sky. I was like, really? if I go See, down, I love that. Oh yeah, Smaller. but you're you're in control. You're the pilot. I'm sitting in the back. I'm even as a passenger. Uh, I love being in the small aircraft. Really? Well, what's small though? Small is like under two six seater. Seat. Oh, okay. Four no, this seater, would have been around. Yeah, I assume this would have been. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was around six. Yeah, it would have um, been a, like a Mustang or a Citation. Yeah, it sounds Mustang sounds. Anyway, we'll check the email yeah, after. Yeah, yeah. But fuck that, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but you are hard to anyway, please. I love the Mustang. It also shows though that you need a great broker who knows yeah, who's going to look after you. Know you. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I've got an example. Yesterday, I put my account management hat on. And I called uh, a previous passenger who was flown with us a couple of times. We haven't heard from her in a while. I'll call her Rebecca. And called Rebecca, said, hi, Rebecca, how are you going? You may not have spoken to me before. You may have spoken to my lovely colleague, Sean. And uh, I'd just love to know more about you. And when was the last time you've flown? And do you have any upcoming travel requirements? And then we went on to have a 45-minute conversation about how the last plane that she caught, the plane was incredible. It was uh, top of the range, amazing, perfect for her requirements. And she would absolutely fly it again. But she wasn't keen on the crew. So she wasn't happy with the service that came along with flying in this aircraft. So she said, if you could find me a new crew for that aircraft, I'll absolutely, I'll book it tomorrow for a flight we want to do. 
Wow. Uh, next week. Yeah. And you can do that? You can switch crew? Oh, or? This is tricky. Or is it now, like a boat where well, you kind of have the crew? I don't really have much authority over who the crew is. That's up to the operator. However, maybe it could open up a conversation with the operator about these are the conversations I'm, happy, I'm having. And this is part of the benefit of working with a broker and especially us because we do have this very 360-degree view of where we go back to our uh, passengers and ask them difficult questions where sometimes we might not like the answer, but it gives us a real insight into how we can do better. And then we can actually feed back this information to our operators so they can improve as well. So as long as we have that good open relationship where we trust each other and we believe that we're all in it for the right reasons, we can really help people. Asking feedback is a funny thing because Mm. if you ask it wrong, you're going to get bad answers. So like if you ask like, I mean, it's super important to get feedback, first of all. It is. But you can also get incorrect feedback, in my opinion. Like, if you ask someone, how was, your, how was the trip, how was the flight? That's pretty good because that's an open um, – that we just want the honest, your honest opinion. If you ask someone um, – um, if you ask someone more like – I'm trying to think what to say. Like, kind of like, you know, what was bad about the flight or what could we do better – Yes. Then often you you'll find that they'll have to they'll they'll think of bad things. They'll they'll almost come up with them. Like whereas if you didn't ask that question, they would say, "Oh, it was a great flight. I loved it." The thing yeah. was, ah, oh, you know, maybe, maybe the seat was a little bit old, uh, but but other than <laughs> that, it was great. You know, like that that that's the type of feedback you want. When you ask someone like what was bad or to think of bad things, mm. I just think it kind of kills the. And what one person considers bad is someone's excellent, like what you just said. Like, I'd mm. love to be in a little Mustang. Mm. However, you know, no, it's not for everybody. So we call them a health check call. Well, it's not for, it's not for <laughs> um, um, claustrophobic people is what it's not for. Yeah. See, if, I, if you were my passenger yeah. and we were going on a little Cessna 182, we're going to go for a little flight to our little Harbour Scenic, we'd keep the door open. Right until the minute we take off. Just really? so you get that bit of bit of oxygen. Going. Yeah, yeah just oxygen. Yeah. breathe it in. You could keep the window open actually if you like. You could open nah. it in flight. Yeah. Would you take me for a flight? Absolutely. I I've, will. So we've been I mean, like I said, I just think flying is one of those skills that no one has and everyone dreams of. And it's so accessible. Everyone can do it. But it's very expensive, no. Well, it's more accessible now. I mean, I'm a single mum and I managed to do it. And there's uh, vet fee help. And really? there's different levels. So you can do your RPL, is, which is what I started doing. So on the weekends, as soon as I had a little bit of time and a little bit of money, I started driving. I could choose, go to Bankstown or go to Cessnock. So I thought, well, I may as well make a weekend out of it and I'll go up to the Hunter Valley and I'll drink some wine, I'll do some flying. But eight hours bottle to throttle, that's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> that's your rule or is that that's the, the that's actually the, the that's industry's the, that's rule? That's the industry's rule. Wow. And cool industry. Yeah. You can actually be 0.02 to fly. And fly. But that only covers for, you know, liqueur chocolates or yeah. medicinal or just, you know. Yeah. You can't have a wine. Calibration errors of the machine. That's exactly right. Yeah. So. Uh, so what did you get? You got your RPL? RPL, Recreational Pilot's Licence. So th- but it wasn't working. I'd go up on the weekend. I'd be terrified. <laughs> sweating up the M1. And then get in the plane, be absolutely out of my depth and then drive home thinking that was the best thing I've ever done and then do it again another fortnight later. But I just couldn't get any roll-on of technique or I just couldn't actually get better doing it that way. So that's when I decided to actually commit to it full-time. So I would recommend 
recreational pilot's license, even just get your first solo. That was the best day of my life. <laughs> Why? When you're instructor, you're lining up and you don't know it's going to happen. Well, my instructor didn't let me know anyway. And I just thought I was doing circuits, which is where you take off, do a circuit, come back and land. You might do a touch and go or you might land and then taxi around and go again. And he just got out and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the plane looked a lot bigger than it did when I first got in it. And I was just looking out at the wingspan and I'm looking at the seat next to me and it's just me. And it was the best feeling to just take off on that runway and get back down on the ground again safely. And it was just all me. I couldn't get the smile off my face. Well, but what's it must be scary. No, because you're you're floating in the sky. If you make a mistake or you screw up, like the training is just so thorough and we learn all the science behind it, which is what's so much fun about it. You know, science, technology, engineering, maths, all those STEM subjects that girls uh, statistically don't do very often, uh, they actually become practical. And I loved it. I wasn't particularly good at any of those subjects at school, but when you apply it in the classroom to the aircraft straight afterwards, all of a sudden it becomes real and practical and useful and interesting and fun. Mm. And, uh, yeah, when you know what you're doing, when you're taught well, um, like I was, it's just a buzz. And, and so you've never been scared in the in the. In I the have air? been scared. I was absolutely scared, and I'm thinking of an incident that happened on maybe my third solo. So at Cessnock Airport, uh, just near the airport, they built a new a petrol station, and it's this big slab of concrete in the middle of summer that just heats up, and you've got all this convection, and um, I'm. I'm on crosswind and I'm still climbing, I'm in the circuit and all of a sudden it just, my plane doesn't fall out of the sky but it just, it, it, I've got a big bump. My head hit the roof, my headset came off, my seat slid back, couldn't even reach the controls. I'm all by myself and I'm I'm scared. I was just like, <laughs> I get, you know, I get the tingles thinking about it now. It must have been a... Big whack, no, for it, your seat it, to fly. It was a big whack. It was a big whack. And, look, it was fine and we're taught to aviate, navigate, communicate. And I just remember thinking just fly the plane. Like it's okay. I've still got power. I've still got it. It's just me. I'm just shook. So I just like to undo my seatbelt, push my seat forward and then, you know, and try not to pull back on the controls as I'm pulling my seat forward. And Because what would that take, do? Then you'd go up. Then, yeah, plane goes up, plane goes down goes up. <laughs> it's as basic as that. What's it? So aviate, navigate, communicate. What does that mean? So aviate, just fly the plane. Just don't hit the ground. Just keep going straight and level. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Don't think about who you need to talk to or anything else. Just fly the plane. Navigate is... Don't, don't fly it into a tree. Yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> don't fly it into a tree. Don't fly it into the ground. Don't go into military airspace, which is another problem up at Cessnock because you've got... Um, Newcastle Airport and Williamtown uh, space up there and then communicate. So you don't need to talk on the radio because that's another thing that takes up a lot of headspace. Um, you just need to look after yourself. So what, it's kind of like w w once you've regained control and you, you, you're calm, then communicate, then then take the time to exactly. tell people. Exactly, yeah. So it's not like you're doing three things at a time. They basically that's get, right. do one thing Keep at a time. Keep it simple. Yeah. Get the plane stable. Then figure out that you're flying in the right direction. Exactly. You can make a great pilot, see? Oh, yeah. I, I've been – so yeah, I fucked up. I'm pretty good at it normally. <laughs> but last year – and also I could blame COVID. But last year in my – like I do a lot of journaling, like writing, mm. yeah, like diaries. Um, but uh, I had in there 
uh, to get my helicopter uh, license because I wanted to fly to the farm and I wanted to build a helipad and, you know, feel more really, accessible. Really yeah. Cool. yeah, imagine if you tell people, oh, you know, like uh, uh, I'm an f- uh, entrepreneur that uh, flies helicopters, you know, yeah. feel, I feel pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, and also I added jujitsu <gasps> that year to start. So I was going to be an entrepreneurial era of jujitsu. Yeah, jujitsu practitioner, <laughs> <laughs> practitioning <laughs> helicopter pilot. I believe it. Right. I can see it. Well, I did jujitsu. Um, but I, just, I still can't fly, which sucks. Um, but but anyway, so it, that was in my – but I thought a helicopter. I just thought I would use – Helicopters are cool. Yeah. Is it harder than – I got told it might be a bit harder. I, yeah. It, it looks more complicated to me. You've got these cri- – every part's moving and the more moving parts, like it's just – I think an airframe failure is my biggest fear in an aircraft. What do you mean by that? So if a piece of the plane falls off – Oh, yeah, that would suck. It's unrecoverable. Yeah, <laughs> you think? <laughs> There's no aviate. There's no navigate. No. Okay, so it's that's just communicating the wor- shit, shit, shit. And that's the worst thing that can happen, yeah, basically. Yeah. So if, if if a piece of the engine falls out or a wheel falls off or something like that. Oh, I could deal with that. I think How would more you of a land wing. if a wheel fa- – well, yeah, you'd be fucked if a wheel Well, we off. practice that. So we well, practice – practice landing no wheels. Yeah, I can do a wheelie landing, just land on the two wheels. No. Oh, yeah. Really? So no, they teach you that? Yep. We practice engine failures, uh, stalling, spin recovery, all that is included in your RPL. I think getting your RPL is harder than getting your CPL. Yeah. Because that's where you learn how to fly a plane. It's funny though, the world's kind of like that. It's always the first part is the hardest mm, part. Definitely. You know what I mean? No matter what it is, like even with business, the first three years, the first five years, they're, yeah. they're the hardest oh, years. And once so you true. get once yeah. you get past that, you've got the momentum, the cash, the yeah. the, the the experiences, the yes. lessons, the team. Like yes. it's just with everything. It's the first yeah. part's the hardest. And if you can overcome that first part, yeah, you, you're gonna be I read a book once. Actually, didn't read it. I read the first two pages of it, <laughs> like but then I was like, I, I get it. Like, I didn't need to read anymore. Yeah, I got this. And it was, it was tired. I, I probably just read the cover because I still remember. <laughs> but <laughs> at it least was, the back cover. Yeah, but it was forward. It, it was. Um, it was called the first twenty hours, and it was basically mm-hmm. you can learn anything by uh, doing the first twenty hours. I think that's read. what it is. Up here, yeah. it's twenty. I think it's twenty-five hours. Is it, yeah. Well, it's you're flying, so you probably need an extra five <laughs> booster. Yeah. But, extra but twenty-five. Anything else? And it just talks about how if you just commit to doing those first twenty hours, mm. like because one of my other things once was playing the piano. Yet to start that either. But but I would love to play the piano. Yeah. <laughs> that is my dream. Piano playing, helicopter flying, cab owning, jiu-jitsu practitioner. I believe it. I can see it. Oh, yeah. That's going to be next level. Another five years we'll have another chat. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to start my 20 hours after this. Yeah. Straight Come after. Come up to the Hunter Valley. I will. I will. Can you teach? I haven't done my instructor rating. I've considered it. I love the thought of it because I do know that when I can teach somebody something else, that's when I know I can understand you it learn more. myself. You yeah. do. So I think it would be a great personal development exercise as well as um, – way to start making money as a pilot. <laughs> yeah. that's a tricky part too. Oh, that's true. Well, mm. do you know, um, just tying that that back to business, when you're t- teaching people, one thing I recently did, which I think a lot of people, or a lot of people probably already do it, but if you don't, I would suggest it, is I started viewing myself more, particularly for the leadership team at Cub, more as um, – I don't want to sound arrogant to say mentor to the team, but like as an advisor or someone like, yeah, like a, a mentor or a, a advisor. Yeah. And what I found by doing that was um, 
it improved not just my relationship with the team because you're not just telling them what to do. You're actually letting them decide and giving what you would do as an opinion and sharing mm-hmm. your lessons bef- so that they can take that into consideration to make their decision. Um, but I found that just by having those conversations and, and these kind of mentoring conversations, um, I was learning because I was like I, I was – I was almost having to figure out how to simplify things and communicate them in a way that was um, aviate, navigate, communicate. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yes. you, had, you could come up with these things and, and, and I actually think that, well, A, it's making me smarter by doing it, um, by teaching, and it's, it makes the uh, team stronger because I'm also not telling. Mm. I'm, they can make their own decision. I'm just sharing what I've learned already in, in my opinions. And you start compartmentalising all the information in your mind. Like within Flight Charter, we've, you know, we've got a list of our values and one of them is education. So we're really strong on sharing our knowledge with our passengers, um, asking them lots of questions. Um, finding out truly what their needs are and then educating them on all the different types of aircraft that are available to them that might suit them better and amazing places to go. Mm. So I was talking to a passenger yesterday and she would love to go on holiday to Bora Bora. I said, well, have you had a look at Lorcala Island? Because that's another place. And I have this other passenger who wants to go, but they're going in a 14-seater aircraft. Maybe you two would like to share. And so I can actually connect people and places and... Wait, wait, wait. So so because t- I'd like to go to Bora Bora mm-hmm. and I know a lot of listeners would like to go to Bora Bora. So you're saying there's an island in Australia that's kind of like Bora Bora? Is that what you said? Or is there a certain island in Bora Bora and I'm looking like an idiot now called what you said? <laughs> well, I haven't been to Bora Bora. So now that you're asking all these questions, I'm assuming that there is an island. <laughs> but what's the island you said or have you considered going there? Lorcala. Where's that? That is in Fiji. That's owned by the Red Bull guy. Deep oh, drink. really? Um, I don't know his name, but I'm a massive fan. Yeah. So I have been told that it is heaven on earth and to fly there privately, just under 200 grand. Oh, it's a lot of money. But you can go direct. Yeah, but still, that's a lot of money. How, lot how of money. far is that flight? Five hours. I just spent 200 grand. That's return. On the flight. 14 yeah. people. But I mean, it's like seven grand each way per person. It's cheap. Actually, that's not true. Not uh, I mean, sorry, that, that that's not. If you're flying your family, yeah, in business class, yeah. I mean, but that would be max five people is is the problem. You got to find another very wealthy family to fly to go on a holiday with. Yeah, there is demand. There really is. We helped. So another way that we're trying to help people. So we get forty leads a day. Out of the forty leads, maybe only two people can truly afford it. However, there's another 38 people there that do have a need for it Mm. but just can't afford it. So one way that we're trying to make it more affordable is we started a Facebook group called Flight Share Australia. So you can become a member and you can post where you want to go and when you want to go and then find other people to share that trip with you. So we were able to do that successfully just recently for two couples. Mm -hmm. The reason they wanted to travel privately was because they had dogs that they cherished, didn't have children, had their puppy babies, and they didn't want to put them in the cargo hold. So we were able to put two couples together. So it was a $450,000 flight mm-hmm. from Sydney to the UK, but together they were able to share it and get there safely, healthily, happily with their And that's dogs. how much – so that's how much it cost yes. to go return Sydney to the UK. Is, is one way. Or one way is four hundred fifty <laughs> grand. Yes. Yeah, that's a serious – that's a serious – serious like, money. That, that's, when, when you're, that's the problem with Australia. When you're flying – Anywhere, it's private. So it's, it's too far. Like even in, Perth. 
It's like 30 oh, grand. A joke. I flew there once and I couldn't believe I got to walk out of the plane in the same country. Yeah. I got back from Should New Zealand. Been. I got back from New Zealand yesterday and that was half the length of going to Perth. <laughs> yeah. It was absurd. It's crazy. But yet that is a problem, I guess, that maybe you have in, in the industry, in, in the private aviation space, is that in Europe it's a lot easier to fly because, okay, I fly to Greece. You know, I can fly to Hot Italy or France. Yeah. You pull up in Nice Airport, it's Terminal 1, Terminal 2, Private Terminal, and the Private Terminal bigger than the other two. Yeah. You know, it's it's more common, whereas here it, it is a bit harder. What Like how can people look at – so let's say let's say I'm me and I've – actually, you know which plane I flew in Australia once and twice and it was the one I liked? It was called the Falcon something. Yes. Falcon. One of my favourites, Falcon 900. 900. Yeah, I was going to say 9,000. I don't know what that would Take be, off. but I remember there was a Throw nine. an extra zero. Yeah, I like your style. Because I was it. And and um, I can't remember how much I paid for that, but it was Sydney to Melbourne. And and um, that was a that was a decent that, – that, that was a see, that was the type of plane that I think is pretty cool. Yes. Um, I love that plane. So let's give let, – let's maybe give the uh, listeners a bit of an idea of um, – um, how they could find a plane, how, what the different budgets are, um, what what you get for those budgets and, and where you can fly. Okay. Because a lot of people, like you're saying, if you've got 40 leads and two of them, are, you know, can, af- can, af- can afford it, there's 38 other people who are, who want to do it but so they're not exactly sure and maybe they, well, maybe they want to do it in the future when they've, you know, yeah. got, made a bit more money or whatever. So what, let's give them a breakdown. All right. If you want to fly from Sydney to Melbourne, in a small twin engine Baron, you're looking at about six k. Mm-hmm. Oh God! How many? I hope these figures many? are correct. No, these are listeners. These are obviously approximate, and it depends on the seasons and busyness oh. of planes. <laughs> well, actually, that's the interesting thing with charter. It's not affected by the same fluctuations that commercial RPT regular public transport. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is influenced by so <laughs> it will be the uh, what is it RPT I, RPT yuck, that's I never want to fly RPT again yeah I'm going strictly what's the other way private. well it's called <laughs> yes colloquially PT. it's called private <laughs> yeah. but it's actually commercial okay it's under a commercial license mm. but it's private. But it's privately it's commercial private. yeah you're not sharing it with other we'll members of PC. the public okay um. And, and, and so, uh, the Baron, though, that's around mm. 6K to Melbourne. That's You would that, hate that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that the, like sitting that. in a battery? I would, yeah. I mean, I would say I'd put you in a Mustang, but you don't like that either. But mm-hmm. the Falcon, that is right up your alley. You've got 14 seats. You could you could go for a sleep in the, up the back of the Falcon. They could make a double bed with the linen for you. I didn't have that. Has a lavatory. Okay, yeah. So so the Mustang, how much would that be? And what's the difference between a Mustang about and a Baron? So a Mustang is a jet, mm-hmm. completely different engine. And the, Wait, what's, what's the difference? So, well, the piston is uh, it's cheap, it's economical, um, it's that suck, squeeze, bang, blow with the thing and the thing, the cylinder and the fuel and the air, the mm-hmm. stoichiometric mixture that gives you the the bang, which pushes the piston and the rocker arm and the yeah, it's got all the, all those awesome mechanics. Um, but a jet is just turbo fans just sucking in the air and heating it up and chucking it out the back to make you go really fast. It feels faster when you take off, doesn't Absolutely. it? It's more of a... Yes. And, yeah. Yes. And 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 then so the Falcon, that's also a jet? Falcon is a jet. Yes. It is a... That Falcon 900 has three jet engines. That's why you get there that little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And they're up the back, so it's really quiet. 
And, and how much would that be? About 27000 Yeah. That's, that's a Plus proper, GST. That's a proper plane. Yeah. Because you got how many seats was it? 14. 14. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to – so you could fly to Fiji in that jet, mm-hmm. but you probably wouldn't want 14. I mean, that's only five hours. You probably wouldn't go more than five hours with 14 people. And so how long, How much would that cost to get to Fiji on that thing? 200. Return. That, that much? Yeah. That's a lot of money. That, it is you, a lot of gotta money. You've got to be making proper you gotta be, be making proper money yeah. before you, you're doing it. Or you've got to be sure. worth proper money before yeah. you're doing stuff like you, that. You need a, a true need for it. So you need um, – you, you have time constraints. So <laughs> – I'm just laughing. I'm sorry. I, don't, like, I don't need a fucking need to fly a jet. If I've you got, do. If I, <laughs> you like really that, do. If I, had all, if I had – The needs are real. <laughs> if I had hundreds of millions sitting around, believe me, the only need I need is to spend it <laughs> and go <laughs> straight it. on the jet. Having a conversation a few days ago and he's like, I'm in the ski club. I need to go privately. Ski club is spend the kids' inheritance. So I've got to get rid of this cash. I, I, I want, want them three years gardening leave and I need to spend it in the next three years so I'm going private. Okay, And, and yes, that's serious money. So what were you going to say? COVID. So if you're immunocompromised, you don't want to be in crowds, uh, time poor. If you well, if only you're have loaded six days, if you're loaded. <laughs> if you're compromised and you're not loaded, just stay out. <laughs> or if you want to attend. So we helped someone out recently who's used to flying like the nice jets that you like, like the Falcon 900, he caught this little tiny, um, what was it, maybe a caravan, um, and it wasn't comfortable, wasn't nice, but it enabled him to attend a funeral. He was home for dinner and he was able to take some family members who had never been able to afford it and they made it to the funeral, said goodbye and were able to get home for dinner because they could fly privately. And is there anything in between like a Mustang and a Falcon? Oh, yeah. Like what, what would you get? Like there's if someone venom, wanted to fly. There's a I reckon a very popular, like just thinking about cub members, mm. I reckon a very popular price range f- to go to Melbourne yes. that I reckon a lot of them will do, not r- super regularly, but like um, for special occasions or just to have fun. Yeah, probably the but, one up from the Mustang, the Citation has six seats. Yeah. Um, seven if you want to sit up with the pilot. And uh, that's like 10 grand. If yeah. you split that between six people. That's cheap. Well, it's really convenient. You can arrive to the airport 15 minutes before your flight departs, meet your pilot, throw your bags in and off you go. Yeah, the only problem with doing that is that once you do it, you're screwed. <laughs> You'll hate yourself whenever you, you – you're going to hate RPT. Oh. You're going to hate it forever because yep. it's like when you – um, you know, you're flying economy and then you fly business. You're like, oh, I really can't. And then you fly first and you're like, oh, I, I, can't, I can't go. But well, it's very hard to go back. You value it and you start prioritising it. Like when you buy yourself a beautiful piece of clothing that lasts well and it looks good and it makes it, you feel good, you just start to value that and you start prioritising it. Maybe you can forego something else. It's just nice, I guess, to, to think that hard work also gives you the ability to do things, and I, I think while while um, while money is is not normally people's complete motive, um, particularly people that achieve great things, um, uh, I, it, I think freedom is often a motive. Like I know for me, Huge. freedom is like I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and that's basically my calling in life. And uh, other than uniting Australia's entrepreneurs, business owners. like that, that's They all. go hand in hand. Yeah, well, they, they do. And I see it that way because I see, well, if I give the world something good, the world gives me back something good. Absolutely. And I think that should be like an agreement between all business owners in the world. It's like, wait a second. 
I'm going to contribute to this world and make this world a better place and help people. And by doing so, the world's going to help me back. And and I think that's a a healthy way to think about it. And right now in, t- in today's world, um, it's often um, it, it, they might villainize business owners, like, oh, they're hungry, money-grabbing people and – and or or they go the other ways. Uh, as a business owner, you should just be trying to contribute only to the world. You should just gi- you should be giving everything. Everything you make, you should also give that. Doesn't to the work world. that way. No, because then it's not a fair agreement. And any relationship uh, or relationship that's going to work, it needs to. It's it's it goes both ways. Well, give and take. Yeah, it's give and take. It's not just one way. Absolutely. And and look, private during COVID, even still, there are planes flying from Sydney to Melbourne just with COVID tests on them. Because, and that is a requirement, like that is a health requirement that got us all of our COVID testing done in days. We didn't test well, for COVID mean? in Sydney. So there's no testing facility for COVID in Sydney. You, they're all processed in Melbourne. So all of those tests were flown down every evening in private planes. No way. To Melbourne, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and so what about you though? Where, where, where are you from? Why, how did you get into planes flying? Well, I bit late in life, but better late than never. Can't be that late. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was always intrigued by aviation because my dad used to tell me all these really cool flying stories. So he was a private pilot and he managed to make a way for himself. So he was uh, working for a company where he did a lot of travel. So he convinced this company that if it would be cheaper for them and more convenient if he learnt how to fly the plane and he could fly himself to meetings and it worked and they paid for him to get his private pilot's licence and he flew himself to meetings. So it was very functional, pretty awesome and he used to share all these really cool stories with me and I'm, I was his only child. No, I'm not his only child. Of this marriage, I was his only child. And so, you know, we had a lot of just one-on-one chats like that. And um, so I really romanticised the world of aviation. But, yeah, when I was 18 and looking at what career I would choose and I'd go along to career days and there would be the stand for the army the Navy and be a couple of guys looking really tough in uniform and like, yeah, come and be a pilot. I'm like, yeah, right. Oh, you will chew me up and spit me out. There's no way I can go and learn to fly in, in the military. That is just not my style. You didn't want to do that. That was I couldn't do it and I'm glad I didn't because they would have. I would have just cried. Why? Because it's tough. It is really hard when you're learning to fly to keep a good attitude and not um, you know, succumb to the difficulties and the challenges that it is. So, but how does the military negate that? Or how would it for you? Is it as a woman you're saying, or is it just in general? It didn't suit it's your difficult character for everybody. I think. Well, it, it's a perceived barrier to entry, and having had conversations with men who did learn to fly in the military, I am very glad that I didn't. That's I'm sure it's very different now. And I don't want to uh, judge the military flying schools. I'm sure they've come a long way, but it um, it would it wouldn't have been for me for lots of different reasons. Yeah, but see, that's it's incredible how you knew that instinctively, and, and you didn't let that get in the way of of you achieving your goals. Anyway, you know, it was well, like it did for a little while, but then I came back, and because the other option was to go to uni uh, with a 98% UAI which wasn't going to that's happen not for me. <laughs> that's not happening for me either, don't worry about that. 
So, and I also didn't have $100,000 to dump on a private school. And, and is that what you have to do if you de- don't go to uni? Yeah. You don't have, you can get vet fee funding now mm. uh, to go to a private school to learn. Because when I was, so when I looked into the helicopter thing, it yeah. was going to cost something like two grand um, per week or something for oh. one flight. Is that, is, does yeah, that sound accurate? About two hours of flying. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. not much. Oh, okay. So maybe I might be wrong, but I, I remember thinking that I remember hearing that per um, lesson was two thousand dollars, and you want to do yeah, two lessons, some ground one component. to two lessons a week. Okay, is what I is what I got told, and okay. you have to do fifty or one hundred and fifty hours. <laughs> Again, that's a big bracket, but yeah. So to get like your commercial license, if you go um, to a private school, it's two hundred hours for a non-integrated course, or if you go to a flight school with an integrated course, which is what I did, it's one hundred and fifty hours. So they consider an integrated course one where you're learning every day. So you've got that continuous flow of mm-hmm. learning, and um, you, it's much better. Yeah, it's a better way of learning. And and so you you mentioned that you kind of. You got put offline because the military looked a bit too macho and aggressive yeah. in, the, yeah. in the teaching style. I did. And so what did you do? So I went and did a Bachelor of Interior Architecture. That's and different. Went, <laughs> it is a little bit different. <laughs> but it's always like that. You, you talk to people and they said, yeah, on my second on my list was something so outrageously different and then third is so outrageously different again. Uh, and I did enjoy it but it wasn't my passion. I wasn't – I was I was okay at it but I wasn't great at it. And then I got married relatively young at 26 and had a baby and then had some time off and realised I didn't want to go back to work full time because having a baby is awesome and you just want to spend as much time with them as possible. And so I started working for a friend quite casually doing event theming. So I would breastfeed Louis, run out for four hours, whack 200 chair covers on for a corporate event and then run home again and breastfeed again. And I loved it. It was so much fun just transforming a space for a corporate event and then the client would walk in and they'd be happy. It was just a really satisfying work. Yeah. So I got hooked by the events industry, started my own events business called Bespoke Social, had that for eight years and then just realised that I was working way too hard for the amount of money that I was earning and I just couldn't scale the business, could not figure out how I could possibly pick up what I was doing and recreate it somewhere else or franchise it or like I was just banging my head up against a wall Oh, there has to be a better way. And I just thought, well, it's time I do what I want. I've got a bit of money now. I've got a little bit of time, that freedom that you were talking about. And I did actually have an accident in my early 20s where I was, my freedom was taken away from me. Uh, I was actually rescued by helicopter. What happened? Oh, stupid. Well, I, th- I thought I had assessed all of the risks. So with my friends, went for a picnic on a Sunday, everything's normal. I said, let's jump in the water. So we're up at Warrywood Blowhole. I'm sure lots of listeners know. would know where that is. I don't, so for the ones who don't. Uh, Northern Beaches. Yep. Uh, famous jumping spot. And that's not my, like, I'm I'm a good girl. I don't do these crazy things. But um, my friends were doing it. They were doing it successfully. You jumped off a cliff. I jumped off the cliff. It's quite high. I didn't and I didn't hit anything. But when I landed in the water, I just remember my forehead hit the centre of my thighs. I thought, oh, that's not right. And I came to the surface and I was winded, but I thought that was the extent of it. So my friends helped me swim through the blowhole out the other side and they pulled me out of the water and I lay down on the rocks and I didn't get up again for about six weeks. What? Yeah. So I got rescued by helicopter, and which was amazing. Um, 
Westpac Rescue Helicopter is an amazing service and I – Shout um, out to Westpac. Westpac, <laughs> shout out. Well, you know, Westpac doesn't even it's, – it's not even – it's that's a whole other story. Yeah, we'll get but, there. I want to hear yeah, this yeah, story. Yeah. Um, went to Royal North Shore and um, they asked me, where does it hurt? I said, well, in the middle of my back. So they took an X-ray this big um, and I'd completely uh, fractured my L1 and T12 and they chose not to operate, but now it's just like a spontaneous fusion where the middle of my back is kind of um, not fr- – I don't feel frozen. I'm completely normal. I'm fully functional. But uh, for a while there I had no freedom and I was instructed to lay in that hospital bed and not move and that is really hard. And how old were you? 22. Oh, yeah, for a 22-year-old woman who's who – once that fun at that age and yeah. just live life. Living in be, King's Cross. To be well, yeah. in a share house with oh, yeah. all my friends. So you were having a lot of fun. I was having a bit just <laughs> yeah. down the road here, yeah. And and so you you were stuck in a bed for how long? It was supposed to be six weeks. I got out after three. And you couldn't but walk. But then I was in a yeah. crucifix brace and I had to stay in that and go home and stay as still as possible for as long as I could. And it was difficult. It was so hard. And I'll never forget the doctor came in and said, Oh, you're so lucky. You just get to lie there and you don't have to do anything. And I thought, you have no idea what you're talking about. You haven't tried to do this. If I could get up, I'd hit you. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then the muscle wastage, you don't realise just the from the incidental exercise you do every day how strong you are. And then when I had to, like it took me ages to be able to walk down the hallway of the hospital. Oh, my God. And what happened? So what what did you hit? Or the water was hard? I just landed a little bit leaning backwards. So it was just so high yeah. and the water was just so hard that I just crumpled on the surface. I just wasn't Straight. stiff enough. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. It's kind of not free and that easy. Would, that would genuinely be terrifying. What was going through your head as you – could you move your – you could move though, couldn't you? Like you knew you, you could feel your legs. I, I can feel everything. That yeah, was okay. the problem. It yeah. was more precautionary that any little fragments of bone weren't going to then um, make me – Paralysed. Yeah. And, and – um, did they fix it or did your body naturally they, they body left naturally you st- fix it? Oh my god, isn't the body incredible? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You've had a few interesting stories. Because I also <laughs> read in your prep sheet you got arrested. I have been arrested. I'm a good girl, but I did get arrested. Yeah, I mean, for a good girl, you're really, <laughs> you're really coming up. I'm innocent. Lived in the cross. I'm innocent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 t- tell me what happened? Well, because this very, was COVID related, wasn't it? It is it is COVID related. I'm fully vaccinated. I am pro-COVID restrictions. It was nothing like that. I am not. We'll put that on the record. Oh, okay. Well, you should have been with me. Fuck COVID restrictions. (laughs) Hate them. I think they're stupid. I went to Chris Rock last night. (gasps) Nothing's changed. There's COVID everywhere. And there were still 20,000 people sitting yeah. on top of each other and mm-hmm. suddenly no one gives a shit. Well, it's but wild. before, had to kill all the businesses because uh, yeah. COVID. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Well, if you can picture this, it's 2021. I'm a CPL student. I've got two other classmates and our school says, all right, you've got 10 hours each to go on a flyaway. Um, you can go wherever you want. Um, just come back in one piece. So he said, well, let's put our 10 hours together and go on an awesome 30-hour trip. I'm like, let's go somewhere cool. Let's not go around in circles around Cessnock. Let's go, let's go see Uluru. Genius. Awesome. Yeah, I thought so. So we were planning this thing for ages. And our course that was supposed to be 11 months actually blew out to be about 17 months. So we were hanging for this trip. We were planning it for so long. We wanted to see blue ocean, white snow-capped mountains, red dirt and green forests. We wanted to see it all 
on our way to and back from Uluru. And first day, of course, Cessnock Airport is covered in the thickest layer of fog you've ever seen, which did not rise till about 12pm in the afternoon. Never seen anything like it before, never seen anything, I will never see it again. It was just like divine intervention. And so we got started off in this awesome little Cessna 206 aircraft and we had so much luggage. Like we had fishing rods in there, we had spare batteries, like we were so well prepared. And because we're very like, good students, we had all of our safety documents filled out, we had full permission from our flight school, we were ready to rock and roll. There was also a little bit of talk in the background about COVID coming back again. We've already been in one lockdown. There's no way we're going into another lockdown, but, you know, there's a bit of COVID happening, but nothing in the Hunter Valley, no cases up there, no lockdowns up there. So we're good to go. So we leave Cessnock Airport. Uh, we wanted to get to Broken Hill. I can't remember anymore. But anyway, we didn't make it because the winds were too strong. So we ended up going and staying in Griffith for the night. So parked the plane up there, went and found accommodation and headed off the next morning. Our next intention was to get to Alice Springs because he really wanted to see all the aircraft parked up there. You know how all the big jets were parked up at Alice Springs mm -hmm. during COVID? I thought, yeah, definitely want to see that. <laughs> um, again, strong winds, didn't get going till a bit later in the morning. So we refuelled at Broken Hill but decided, look, God, we've got to get this plane back because otherwise our school's going to kill us. We're going to – let's just keep pushing on. We'll go to Cooper PD and we'll stay there the night. No accommodation booked, like flying by the seat of our pants, literally. Arrive in Cooper PD, pick up the phone, trying to get accommodation, can't find anything. Finally get this awesome guy uh, called Uber PD, and his name's Paul. He sorted us out with accommodation, took us to dinner, great. Next morning, this is my leg, I'm flying. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Northern Territory Police personally and just double check that we're good to go. So I've got permission off everybody. I've got permission off my school, permission off Northern Territory Police. Um, so we're, we're happy to depart and we depart Cooper PD. We go to, it's called Ayers Rock, the, the airport, um, and we land, we refuel and we thought, oh, I just better go to the toilet. That's, that's a sensible idea. So we there's no toilet on these planes. Is there? No toilet on these planes. So it's a real strategy. Like you don't drink anything. You don't have yeah. a coffee. You don't like you just you fast for the first bit and then you just down some water 30 minutes before you land and we go to the toilet. So we crossed the gate from airside to civilian side and then all hell broke loose. So, well, actually we called health authorities because it said call these people. So we called them and they came over and they're like, whoa, 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 sit down. We need to screen you. So they screened us. We got all of our permissions. It was all fine. They said, well, where have you been? Um, show us your phone. So, you know, nothing to hide. Go through our phone. And they went through my phone. I said, oh, you've been to Borkham Hills. What were you doing there? I said, well, I went there to pick up my well, auntie. They your phones. Yeah. So strange. The only time that's ever happened to me is entering Israel. And, and that's Israel. Like, I wouldn't Northern expect that territory, in Australia. Northern yeah. Territory during COVID is very hectic because they're doing uh, – they're protecting the Indigenous communities out there from COVID, which Fair is enough. very important and yeah. we 100% agree with that. So um, handed over my phone. I'd been to Borkham Hills, which is a red zone, which I had – I did not know was a red zone. I didn't even get out of the car when I went to Borkham Hills. I just went there to pick up my auntie to bring her back to my house to look after my son while I go on flyaway. Um, my 80-year-old auntie that never leaves the house. 
So neither of us have COVID, but because I've been to Borkham Hills to pick up my auntie, I now cannot enter the Northern Territory. The two passengers in my plane that I've just been flying with for the past two days came out. (laughs) Like, yeah, sure, they can go, but I'm not allowed to. So I said, all right, I'll just go sleep in the plane. No, no, no. The local Indigenous community have elected not to allow anyone to self-isolate during this time. Okay. So what are my other options? Well, we can send a bus from Alice Springs and you can do two weeks quarantine in Alice Springs. (laughs) Hell no. I've got a child at home. I have a business and I have this CPL that I need to get done and I have to get a plane back to my school. My my school's going to kill me. I've got this Cessna 206, $650 an hour stuck in the middle of Northern Territory and can't get home. So I'm just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I said to my two classmates, all right, look, you guys, I don't know, what are we going to do? We're like, we just need to get the hell out of here. So they said, yep, if you just leave the Northern Territory, we're happy. They didn't care where we went. They just didn't want us to enter. So by this time it's three o'clock in the afternoon and we're thinking, where are we going to go? Like, let's just get in the air and figure it out. Get in the air, get the iPad out. Oh, where can we go? Where can we go? We can go to Birdsville, but that's east and it'll be night time by the time we get there and we don't have our night rating, so we can't go there. So the only place to go was back south to Cooper Pedy. So off we go. We call uh, SAR time. We let them know, like search and rescue. So when you're flying in those remote areas, it's a requirement to put in a SAR time so they know where you're expected to be so that if uh, we go missing or we don't arrive there at a certain time, they can send out a search party. So we let them know what we're doing, where we're going. Yep, great. Thank you. No problem. Go to Cooper PD. We land, we call up Uber Petey, our mate. He's like, yeah, I've actually got the best accommodation in Cooper Petey and it can be all yours. It was amazing. It was this underground, sprawling, five-bedroom, gorgeous underground accommodation. Only catches. It's about 15 minutes out of town. So he drove us out there and he said, look, there's no food here. You'll have to come with me back to town to have dinner. And then I'm actually working at um, at the karaoke bar tonight. So you'll have to go there with me too. And then after that, I'll drive you home because you can't just catch a cab. You know, like we're kind of at the mercy of our accommodation and this awesome guy, Paul. So I thought, oh, you know, we're on an adventure. Let's just do it. Let's just go. So went into town, went to the Greek club, had an amazing dinner, went to the karaoke club, singing karaoke, having the best time. And then we start getting calls from Sarwatch going, uh, Bravo X-Ray Zulu, just concerned about your whereabouts. Where are you? We were expecting you in Alice Springs. We went, no, no, we, we, we called and cancelled that and uh, gave you our whereabouts. We're in Coober All right, whereabouts in Coober are you? I'm thinking, why, why do they care? And <laughs> the next minute, next minute, we get Coober police, stay where you are. If you go, we're going to start knocking on doors. I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, what have we done wrong? We had absolutely no idea what was going on. Next minute, we've got like sirens, lights, police everywhere surrounding the karaoke bar and we get arrested at 1.30 in the morning for breaking an emergency order, which was the border lockdown of South Australia, which had happened that morning, which we had no idea about. That is absurd. It was wild. Yeah, that is wild. First time in the back of a paddy wagon. Oh, you got thrown in the back? Oh, yeah, three of us in the back. They asked us Three women? Two girls and a guy. Oh, my God. And thank God they're awesome people because we had a laugh. Like oh. three of in the back that would of the be scary. It was, it, was, it was a roller coaster. Mm. I was. Because we became a police state. When you're in a police state, you don't know what the police are going to do to yeah. you. They can do anything. You don't know. And I had been told by a very good trusted friend, he's like a mentor but 
he hates to be called a mentor. Uh, and he said, look, if you ever get arrested, don't say anything, just call me. And I thought, who do you think I am? Why would I get arrested? i like, why, why would that ever happen? He knew you better but than then you I thought, knew he yourself. Knew, he did, he did. <laughs> and I thought, this is it. This is the moment where I don't talk. And so I didn't speak. I just gave my name and my address and emptied my pockets. And I'm like, why do you have so many weapons? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I had all these pens and pencils for writing down fuel and time and locations. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm a pilot. I need that for flying around. And anyway, it took us back. We got questioned. We got the cameras in our faces. And I think it became fairly clear to them quite quickly that we were just trying to do the best we could as three student pilots, trying to do their commercial pilot licence cross-country navigation exercise that we did not intentionally break a, a border barrier. And how long did you have to stay in jail? Well, this was the problem. <laughs> Friday night, couldn't get a court sitting until Monday morning, so we were there all weekend. That is absurd. Three days. Thank, I hope we never go back to to. To that, all these changing laws in different states. You don't know yeah. who's right from wrong. How, like, I, I hope well, we, we were so busy there. just trying to keep up with the rules of the air that we weren't thinking about the rules on the ground. <laughs> like, why would the rules on the ground change? And if they did, why wouldn't someone tell us? It's crazy. No one knew. No one even in Cooper PD knew. Yeah, because well, no one knew. On. Nah, they, a bunch. Nah, no <laughs> one knew. But but um, um, just because we do have to wrap up soon, I just wanted to t talk through um, how someone can go about actually booking a private plane. Because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who either want to do it now or uh, potentially, you know, planning on being able to do it yeah. in the future. How, what's the process like? So they'd get in touch with uh, you guys. And Jump on our website because it's got a really fun tool where you can get an estimate. So flightcharter.com.au has a price estimator tool. You can put in where you want to go and it will throw out a range of different aircrafts and all the different prices that you can expect. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then from that, we will call you within 24 hours and get some more information about what your budget is, uh, whether you're the one that's paying the bill or it's, you know, is it a corporate, is it private, um, what the true need is and uh, what your time constraints are. And then we'll go and find the best plane for you. And then we can, like, if it's something that suits you, if, because sometimes, you know, charter is not for you. And we will find out if that's the case and say, you know, you're actually better just going commercial because this is, this is a standard route and it's going to be, you know, a tenth of the price for you to do it that way. Um, but if it is the right fit for you, we will then go out and get some firm quotes from operators that we know and trust. And then we will come back to you with three options that you can choose from at different price points. And then you can make the right decision for you. And, and, and when, when the, so once a choice is made, you guys handle the, That's you, right. you, you're always in contact, you, you're in contact with the plane and you're yes. the pilot and you're in contact with, exactly. with the, us. The, yep. We the, have the pilot name and number. We know, we tell you exactly where to go, where to park, what will, you know, any dietary requirements, Everything. like right down to the last little detail. We can do transfers for you as well. Okay. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Well, well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I and could talk about this for a whole I, day. I know. And I know that you have, uh, so, well, as you know, we, we normally finish with a favourite quote or lesson or something. I know you wanted to share a favourite quote. So why don't I hand this over to you to, to, to say it? Because I know it's a long one. Because I only discovered it recently and I just thought this is so my life. I just keep throwing myself back into the arena and I'm looking over to the side and everyone seems to be on really comfy padded chairs with their cold beverages and warm hot dogs and I'm in the arena. 
And it's this one from Theodore Roosevelt, which um, you know many people may know, but I've only just discovered it recently. It is not the critic who counts and it's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. That's the best quote. It's so cool. Yeah, that is. That, that's one of the best pieces of writing ever. Isn't it beautiful? Ever 1910, over 100 years ago in Paris. Stunning. Yeah. Stunning words. And to our listeners, if you want to get in contact with Amelia, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find details there along with other uh, with quotes, greatest lessons and, and more information about uh, flying private. Um if you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club of United Business on Instagram. I highly recommend that too. We're actually going to make a new subscription, a podcast subscription very soon as well, where you can subscribe to be part of our podcast community. That is on its way and you're going to have access to a whole bunch of cool things by doing so. Um, Amelia, thank you so much. Thank you. That was a brilliant conversation. That was fun. Yeah, it was. Okay. I hope you enjoyed the show.